Well, I've tried that and I just can't do it. Uh, because when I open my eyes, if I don't see people worshiping, if I don't see people engaged, it just kind of like it, my whole, I just go, like that on the inside, and then it affects how I worship. So I decided that my worship is for God alone, and therefore I'm going to keep my eyes closed and worship God alone with all my heart, and let y'all deal with whoever's out there deal with however you worship God yourself. But I, I would sometimes, sometimes I almost try to make myself open my eyes and just see what's going on. And I can open my eyes and look at the music and the words, but that's about all I can do. But I'm telling you, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me something this morning. It may sound a little strange to you. It may not make as much sense to you as it does to me. But I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, one day I'm going to tell you, open your eyes. And when you do... This place is going to be set on fire with worship. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me this morning. So I don't know when that day is coming. It may be six months from now, a month from now. It may be next Sunday. It may be a year from now. But I think the Holy Spirit's going to tell me one day, open your eyes. And when I do, I think God's going to have done something in this place. And I think this place is going to be on fire with worship and celebration of who God is and what He's doing. So, uh, I don't know, I just shared that with you because I felt like I was released to do that. You can pray about that with me. Did you, by the way, did you, this goes along with what we're going to talk about today. Did you feel, I don't know if you did, but I did. Did you feel just a little charge in the atmosphere when we started praying? When we stopped and we said, let's see, if you're not standing up, let's stand up. Let's lift up your hands. Let's pray. Now, here's what we could have done. We could have kept going. We could have kept, I know that. If you're looking at me and you were disappointed because you thought, you should have just kept going. I, I know we could have kept going and we could have kept working that and God could have done something. But you see, here's the thing. My dad preached this message years. And you see, I, I heard my daddy preach for years and years and years. And I can't tell you I remember every message he ever preached. But I remember three vividly. One was called The Way Up is Down. Never forget that one. One was about Hezekiah, Get Your House in Order. And one was where he talked about you only get out of church what you put in it. Amen. Those are the three messages I vividly remember my dad preaching when I was growing up as a kid. And... There's a truth to that. You see, a lot of times we are waiting on other people. So, you know, we, we know, well, the ladies, the ladies, they're going to go back there and they're going to pray and they're going to seek God and they're going to pray in the Holy Ghost and they're going to call down fire and we're going to see God. And, you know, then they're going to come up front and they're going to worship God. And if God really wants to do something, he'll do it. And I'm sure Pastor Lynn, he's probably prayed. And I'm sure the leaders, they've prayed. And I'm sure they've really sought God. Surely to goodness they have. If they hadn't, they need to get right with God, right? You know, so I mean, surely they've sought God and they're going to be ready to do whatever they do. So I just really don't have time to pray. I really don't have time to seek God before church on Sunday morning. I got too much going on. After all, I've got to get on Facebook and I've got to get on Twitter and I've got to get on Instagram and I've got to get on Snapchat and I've got to watch the news and I've got to, you know, and, 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 and you know, I was out until... Two in the morning, I was what, three in the morning. I got to sleep as late as I possibly can. And I got to eat and I got to do all this other stuff. I don't have time. But if God really wants to do something, He will. Do you know what will happen? When you begin to prepare yourself to be able. To host. Now listen, understand something. I get this. Our body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He is always here. 
But I'm talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to manifest. See, it's not all about you. Your worship is not about you. It's about Him. And it's about other people around you. Your intercession is not about you. It's about Him. And it's about other people around you. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But what you don't realize is when you seek God and go after God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength... It may be that somebody else is waiting. They may not have the energy. They may not have, you don't know what they've been going through this week. They may not have it in them to even hope to believe that God could touch their heart. But the fact that you did and you sought God and you were ready and you were worshiping and the presence of God was able to find a place in you that He can manifest, He can then begin to spill over. Anybody ever had the spillover effect? I have. I know what that feels like. I believe God wants to do that again. So my challenge to you beginning now. And listen, a lot of you have been here with me long enough that I know you know how to do this. Because we've been here long enough. I've seen you do it. I challenge you. Start seeking God before we show up on Sunday morning. By the way, this whole area up here, and I know we have a sound check on Sunday mornings, but we're usually done with a good 15 minutes to spare, at least 15, sometimes more. Man, wouldn't it be great to see this area full of people praying God and seeking God for 15 minutes or 10 minutes? Say, I want to have time to fellowship. Show up a little early. Get your donut, get your coffee, fellowship, and don't even make me have to come out there and round you up and say, let's come in. Let's get here early enough to do that and then come in on our own and begin to seek God around the altar so that when we get up and begin to worship God, you are chomping at the bits ready to worship God because you already feel His presence and His anointing charge. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can. I know it can happen. I've seen it happen over and over, and you felt just a little bit of that this morning. And all we did... All we did, people, was stand up, lift our hands, and pray a little bit. That's all we did. And you felt the change in the atmosphere. I felt the change. What would happen if we did that every single day? What would happen if we did that every single service? What would happen to this church and every church like it if we dared to believe that the God that we're crying out to wanted to show up as bad as we wanted Him to show up and wanted to move as bad as we wanted Him to move? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know the story about David. Just a few chapters earlier, Just a few chapters earlier, King Saul had started out well, but then he lost his conviction and he lost his humility before God. And because of that, God said that the kingship was going to be stripped from him. And so he said to the prophet Samuel, who had originally anointed Saul to be king, he said, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be the next king over Israel because I've rejected Saul. So Samuel does that. And Jesse calls supposedly all of his sons in to be seen by the prophet Samuel. And Samuel starts with the oldest and he looks at him and he says, Well, surely this must be the one because he's strong and he's tall. He just looks the part. But God said, No, I've not chosen him. And so he starts going through the line of all of Jesse's sons. And God said, I didn't choose him either. Nope, not him, not him, not him. And finally, he goes through everybody that Jesse's assembled. He says, this is all of your sons. And Jesse makes this statement, which is a very telling statement. You've heard me say it before. He said, well, there's the runt. Literally, what he says is, there's the runt 
out in the field with the sheep. He didn't even call him in because even to his father, Jesse couldn't imagine that David would be the one that Samuel needed to see. And Samuel said, well, call him in. And the minute David shows up, God says, that's the one. Because he said, as a man, you look at the outward appearance, but I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And David has a heart after me. So Samuel anoints David to be the next king over Israel. And David at this point is a young teenager, probably around 15, 16 years old. And so he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. Very quickly after that, Saul starts going through bouts of depression. He's actually an an, oppressing spirit from the enemy comes on him. And Saul basically goes through fits of almost insanity at times. And so somebody says, well, listen, there's a psalmist, a a son of Jesse, and and he plays the harp really skillfully. And maybe if he can come and play his harp real skillfully, it'll help soothe you. So David shows up and he plays his harp. And and, and the next time Saul has this problem, and sure enough, that music under the anointing of the Holy Spirit from a heart that worships God begins to soothe Saul. And that depression and that, that sense of hostility or whatever it was that was bothering Saul lifts off of And so that happens again and again and again. And you can imagine that David, who's already heard that he's going to be the next king of Israel, when he gets called into service for the current king, Saul, you can imagine that David's thinking, well, this is it. You know, God's starting to move me up. God's starting to take me along. This is how it's going to work. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And who had eight sons. So David was one of eight, and he was the youngest of the eight. And the man, Jesse, was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. Notice that terminology. David was the youngest. David was the youngest. David was the runt. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So if David had a sense of expectation that, okay, I've been anointed to be the next king, and now Saul's having me come play music for him, and I live close to the palace, and this is it, occasionally he would be sent for by his father, who was now well advanced in years, said, no, I need you to come home for a while. And I need you to get back in the sheepfold. I need you to go back and do your old work that you used to do when you were just at home. I just need you to come home and be my son and take care of those sheep. Then it says the Philistines drew near and they presented, or the Philistine did, and presented himself. He's talking about Goliath here for 40 days, morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were now in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. What I want you to see here is that nobody except God And David really believed in David. Jesse apparently didn't really believe in David. We're going to find out in just a moment that none of his brothers, apparently, at this point anyway, believed in David. Saul wasn't sure what he thought about David, except that he was a good musician who could calm 
his nerves when he was upset. But nobody except God and David really believed after David, but David just had his heart after God. Matter of fact, we're going to find out in a moment that David's brothers apparently, after he had been anointed as king or before, we're not sure, lived in a sense of resentment and jealousy towards David. I don't know if after he had been anointed, if David started talking about how he was going to be the next king. I don't know if after he had been anointed, just the very act of Samuel anointing him as king caused the older brothers to think, well, that should have been my position because I'm older than he is. Why should he get the position? I don't know if it was just the fact that David just sat out with the sheep, which, by the way, was a job most of the people of that day thought was disgusting. But David seemed to actually enjoy it because while he was out with the sheep, he would spend time with the Lord and he would write all of these songs. And maybe the brothers were just tired of hearing him come in and tell them, you want to hear the song I wrote this week when I was out with the sheep. I don't know what the problem with, but was, but the brothers resented David. And they had jealousy towards David, which makes me think about some other men of God like Joseph and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and even Jesus, whose own family thought he was insane when he started doing miracles and teaching as one who had authority. Nobody believed in David except God and David. But you've got to realize that David could have, and this is where I want to get to to this morning, what I want you to think about. David could have looked at this going back to the sheep as being too little for him now. He could have thought, I'm too good. To go back to the sheep. After all, I used to take care of the sheep, but now I'm the next king of Israel. Well, I've been anointed by Samuel the prophet himself, the same prophet who anointed Saul the current king. And I've served King Saul, and I've played my music for King Saul, and he, I'm valued by King Saul. I can't go back and take care of the sheep and just be the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite again. Why, I've got an anointing. I've got a ministry. I've got a calling. I've got power. I've got a gift. I'm too good for that. But what I want you to see in verse 20, as a matter of fact, he didn't just go back to the sheep. He's basically an errand boy for his brothers. Jesse says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the cheese and the bread and all this, and I want you to just take it to your brothers. Just go run with it. Take it to their captain. Just find out how they're doing. Come back and tell me how things are going. So David, the next king, is now reduced to being an errand boy for the brothers who can't stand him. And here's his attitude in verse 20. David rose early in the morning, verse 20. He left the sheep with a keeper. So he even takes care of the sheep, even though that's not his primary role anymore. He still takes care of them. He rises early. He took the things that his father had given him. Just as Jesse had commanded him, he went. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. And he ran to the army and he came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words he has been speaking day after day. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, the giant, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. They weren't just afraid of Goliath. They were terrified. They were dreadfully afraid of Goliath. 
So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. He will give him his daughter. He will give him his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy? The armies of the living God. David, the anointed king, goes back to serve his father because he needs his help. And he's left out in the fields with the disgusting sheep. But he takes his role seriously. And then he is asked to kind of be an errand boy, a messenger, to go check on his brothers. And he has an attitude that says, I'll do it. And he got up early in the morning. And instead of being discouraged because he thought, well, I thought I was going to be the next king. I thought I was on my way up. I thought when I got promoted to being the musician for Saul, it was just going to be one positive thing after another. Instead of doing that, David understood something that all of us desperately need to understand. There is never a moment that is lost to God in all of the paths of our preparation. Wherever you are right now, wherever you have been, and wherever you go tomorrow, God knows exactly where you are. And God knows exactly what He's doing. I want you to understand, God never changed His mind about who David was. God had not changed His mind about the anointing that had come upon Him. God had not changed His mind about King Saul. The thing was, it wasn't time yet for David to step into that role. And everything that was about to take place was a part of David's preparation for the moment that he would take the role that God had already called him to. But what would have happened to David if he had thought that he was too good to go take these supplies to his brothers on the day that Goliath was challenging the army of Israel. Because see, if you know anything about what's about to happen, and we're not going to go into detail about the battle, but if you know anything about what's going to happen, David winds up facing Goliath, and he defeats Goliath. And then after he defeats Goliath, he cuts off his head. And once the giant of the Philistines is defeated, all of the armies of Israel get strength and courage, and they go out and they fight the entire Philistine army. And the Philistine army flees from the army of Israel And Israel has a great victory And when the armies of Israel come back into Jerusalem to celebrate There are people in the streets And they began to sing this song Saul has slain his thousands But David his tens of thousands. What happened because David was willing to do the small things is that he met his moment of destiny with Goliath which propelled him into the large things. One of the reasons that many times we languish away in places of obscurity is because we mess our moments of destiny because we think we're too big and we're too good to do the small things. If David had not been willing to take the supplies to his brother 
others with enthusiasm, with excellence, and with expectation, he would have never heard Goliath challenge the armies of Israel. He would have never felt the strength and the courage of God rise up in him to take on the giant that none of the soldiers of Israel were willing to face. He would have never had that great victory and there would have never been the songs that were sang about him by all of the people of Israel. That day was the day that... Now Samuel had already anointed David as king. David already knew who he was. But the day that David defeated Goliath was the day that Israel began to understand who David was. And from that point forward, it was just a matter of time until David was crowned king. Now he had a lot of battles left to face with Saul. Because Saul understood from that point on that he was going to one day take the throne. And he became insanely jealous of him and he tried to kill him at every point. But God supernaturally protected him. But the fact is, David didn't miss his moment of destiny because David was faithful over the few things. The Bible tells us if we're faithful over the few things, the small things, then God will make us ruler over many things. If that's true, then the reverse is probably true as well. If we're not willing to be faithful in the small, in the few, then we're never going to be able to rule over what actually would have been ours to rule. See, David made his moment because he was willing to serve. Here's the question. How willing to serve are you? How willing to serve am I? Is there anything in my heart that I just think I'm too big for that? (laughs) That's too small for me? Or even if I do it, do I do it with a sense of regret and anger? Or am I willing to do it with expectation and enthusiasm? See, David rose up early. He could have just lazed around and waited till the last minute. But David rose up early to go and do what his father had asked him to do. If we continue the story, we see a little bit of what's going on with his brothers. Notice in verse 26 that we just read, the word gets reported, David hears it. Why does he hear the word? Because he's there. (laughs) David hears the word because he's in the right place at the right time because he was willing to do the small things that were asked of him. But he hears that whoever defeats this giant, then the king is going to exempt his father's family and his household from taxes He's going to be given the king's daughter's hand in marriage. And he's going to be given all these riches. David knows who he is. So automatically David's sense of destiny and purpose and expectation perks up. And he understands this is what I'm here for. Because what could better propel me into the, just naturally thinking, what could better propel me into the kingdom than to receive the king's daughter's hand in marriage. David immediately holds on to his vision and he starts asking around about what will be done for the one who defeats the giant. So verse 27, the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills the giant. Look at verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, now realize that under Jewish tradition and custom, the person to receive the birthright would have been the oldest brother. So the person that naturally speaking would think that the anointing should be his would have been the oldest brother. So if there's anybody that's resentful towards David, if there's anybody that's jealous of David, it's going to be Eliab. So Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. 
And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom, notice this phrase, with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've just come down to see the battle. Eliab says, you're just a curiosity seeker. You're just here to get in on the excitement. Who'd you leave those few sheep with anyway? I know how proud and arrogant you are. Seems like an awful large stretch. You can kind of see the family dynamics at play here. Now, David could have been offended. David could have felt the rejection and the betrayal and the insensitivity of that remark. David was human like anybody else. But I want you to notice David's response because this is a key to all of us. David said to his brother, what have I done now? And I like that little word now because that gives us another indication that this isn't just a one-time event. This is apparently something that the brothers continually would harass David with, with these accusations and these ideas. So David says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? You can almost hear in David's response. He knew how long his brothers had been gone to war with Saul. He knew how long the armies of Israel had been lining up day after day on one side while the armies of the Philistines were lining up on the other. And he could tell by the time he got to the battlefront that nothing was happening. So in his response, he says, well, is there not a cause? I think you can almost hear in that. He said, do you want to do something about it? Are, are you volunteering? Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Give Wally a hand. He took care of that distraction very well. Oh, is there another one? But David says, you can almost hear it. Do you want to take on the giant? Because if you do, any of my other brothers want to line up today? Any of the army of Israel that are trained warriors that are still sitting here afraid, do you want to take him on? Are you going to do this? Now, guys, I want you to hear this. I genuinely believe that God is raising up a people and He is raising up a generation that is going to engage in the battle that for the most part we have left undone. And it may not look like it right now, but I believe that God is raising up a generation that will take that on. And we as the generation that has gone before, we can either decide that we're not going to leave the whole battle for them, we're not going to leave all the giants for them, but we're going to go forth and engage the enemy ourselves and give them some courage and give them some hope and show them how to pray and show them how to do warfare and show them how to love and show them how to not allow the attacks of the enemy to hold on or, or they're going to have to say to us, is there not a cause? Are you going to intercede? Are you going to worship? Are you going to pray? Are you Because if you're not there's a giant out there and somebody has to take him down and those who know who they are in Christ will not allow the offense and the objection 
rejections and the insults and the hurts of those who are jealous of who they are to hold them back from stepping into the arena of battle. David knew who he was and he was not threatened by the opposition of those who would not engage in battle when they had the opportunity. And the question for our generation, I'm talking about me, the question for my generation, the opportunity is in front of us. Are we going to engage this giant or not? Because if we want to engage it, I guarantee you, God will raise up a generation who will. And here's the problem. Many of us will be content to say, well, thank God. Let them go. Give you a hand. That was King Hezekiah's response. Which is to me one of the saddest, most tragic responses in all of Scripture. Because, see, he took the Babylonians in to see all the treasuries of Jerusalem. And when the prophet confronted him about that, there was a consequence to it. He said, one day they're going to come back and they're going to take this city captive. But he told King Hezekiah, who had been a righteous king, he said, but because you've been a righteous king, it won't happen in your lifetime. You will die and go to the Lord in peace. It'll happen in your children's lifetime. And Hezekiah's response was the most selfish, tragic response in all of Scripture. He said, good. Good. At least I will die in peace. Forget about his children. Forget about his grandchildren. Did you know that the Bible says that one of the signs of the last days will be that people will be without natural affection? You know, there was a day when for a parent or a grandparent, there it is, for a parent or a grandparent, we knew that we were called on to sacrifice everything for the next generation. Everything. That's what we were here for. We, we knew that we weren't, but somewhere in the process, the selfishness and the materialism of a culture have seeped into not just a young generation, but it's moved up into higher generations as well. And we really are okay. Matter of fact, we almost have the, sometimes I almost hear a, almost a tinge of, well, you know, <laughs> if everything goes crazy and goes bad, they kind of got it coming. Those are your children. Those are your grandchildren. Those are your great-grandchildren. Hezekiah. Well, I've lived a godly life, so had Hezekiah. And his disobedience and his mistake brought judgment. And he was happy as long as the judgment didn't come in his lifetime. David said, is there not a cause? Guys, if y'all want to fight Goliath, go for it. But if you're not going to fight Goliath, now he didn't say these words, but I think kind of what you almost hear is if you're not going to fight Goliath, get out of my way because I am. That's what I'm here to do. I didn't come here for that purpose. I came here. Notice he came as a servant. Listen, I didn't even plan on saying this. He came as a servant, but he left as a king. Even though it would be many years before he got the crown. He came as a servant, but he left as a king. And do you know why he was able to do that? Because he already knew he was a king way before he entered that valley that day. You see, those who really know who they are are not afraid to serve. Those who really know, Pastor Parrish told me years ago, he said if somebody really knows their authority, they do not have to prove it to anybody. 
The people who always go around trying to prove how big and how talented and how good they are are people who are really insecure about who they really are anyway. The people who really know what God's put in them know that when the time is right and the moment is right, if I just serve God and I'm faithful to God, the doors will open. I don't have to prove it because I know. David didn't have to prove anything. He just knew that this was his moment. Then, here's another key, verse 30. Then he turned from his, him, from Eliab, his brother, the one who was saying, you're just proud and you're insolent and you're just here to watch the battle. Why don't you just go home? He turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And the people answered him as the first ones did. That's what you got to do. Guys, when people come against what God's called you to do, when people come against your vision, when people are telling you it'll never happen, when people are telling you you can never be what God said, you've got a choice. You can either take the offense, you can feel the rejection, you can take the insecurity, you can take the pain and live it for the rest of your life. You can begin to believe what they're saying. Or you can just say, hey, is there not a cause? If you're not going to do it, I am. And turn from them and ask again, what can I do? How can we solve this problem? I'm here, I'm here, I might as well do something. What can I do? One of the most important things you'll ever learn to do, one of the most important things I'll ever learn to do, is to understand that every opposition we face, we can look at it as either an opposition or an opportunity. It all depends on your vision of who you are and your vision of who God is within you. If your vision of God is too small, then every problem is an unbelievable opposition that you can't overcome. If your vision of what God's doing inside of you is too small, then you're never going to be able to overcome anything that comes your way. But if your vision of what God's put inside of you and if your vision of who your God is within you, if your vision of God is big enough, then every opposition can be turned into an opportunity. And that's what David saw in Goliath. David didn't see a giant. He saw an opportunity and he proves it in what he says next. After people tell him about it, word eventually gets to Saul that somebody's asking about taking on the giants, so Saul calls him to, to his tent. And David explains that what he wants to do, verse 33, Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. Now this isn't the anger or the outright rejection that David got from his brothers. This is just common sense reasoning. This is just somebody who knows something, trying to reason David out of obedience. You see, there's direct opposition to the plan of God, and if that don't work, the enemy likes to use reasoning. Now, the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, so counsel's good. But you've got to make sure that your counsel comes from people who believe in a powerful God and people who believe in what God's doing in your life. But even then, you are the one who is directly responsible to hear God about your life. If you don't do what God's called you to do, don't you ever turn around and blame somebody and say, well, I would have done it, but pastor, or I would have done it, but brother, or I would have done it, but sister so-and-so kind of said it might not be the right time. No, I don't care what counsel you get. At the end of the day, every one of us is directly and individually responsible to go before the presence of an almighty God and hear his voice and do what he says. You cannot cop the blame on anybody else. David could have listened to Saul. Everything Saul said made sense. He said, this guy's a warrior since he was your age. You don't know anything about battle, David. You can't do it. You're going to die. I don't believe Saul's motivation at this time was jealousy because Saul didn't know what David was about to do. I think Saul's motivation was compassion. 
I don't think Saul wanted to see this young teenage boy get out on the battlefield and die in battle because he absolutely thought that's what he was going to do. And it made absolute sense. But you see, notice David's response. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of these, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David rejected the first opportunity to be talked out of his moment with destiny when his brother talked to him. But the enemy will always give you another opportunity to fail. He will always give you a second, third, and fourth opportunity to fall. David rejected both of his opportunities. He would not allow anybody to talk him out of his destiny. And because of that, I want you to notice what David's reasoning was. Saul's reasoning was, you're just a youth. You don't know anything about battle. David's reasoning was, now wait a minute. Now I've been a shepherd. You're right. I've never been in battle. But I kept the sheep. And there was once a lion that came to take the sheep away. And I went out and I took that lion and I killed that lion. Grabbed the, the lamb from the lion. And there was once a bear that came to take that sheep away. And I went out and I grabbed that bear and I took the lamb away from the bear. And the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear is going to be able to deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine giant today. It's going to be God who brings the victory. See, David understood something that even at this point Saul didn't understand. He said, look, if it was about me beating this giant in my own strength, my own power, my own ability, you would be right. But you see, God is the one who's ultimately going to win this victory. God is the one who's going to ultimately defeat this giant. And I know that the same God who killed the lion and the same God who killed the bear will enable me to defeat this giant. You see, David understood that everywhere he had ever been and everything he had ever done, all of his life long had been preparation for this moment. And that's what I said at the beginning. Many times we get so frustrated and we get so discouraged and we get so impatient because we've got this vision from God. How many of you just real quick would lift your hand and say, I've ever had a vision or a promise from God? Just lift your hand. You know somewhere you've had a vision or a promise from God. That's great. The question is, have you seen it fulfilled yet? If you haven't seen it fulfilled in its completion yet, it is so easy while you're in that waiting time to get impatient and to get frustrated and to think that God's done with you or to think you failed too much or whatever the case may be and to look at the little things that are going on in your life right now as not even being worth your attention. But everything that's happening, God knows. And everywhere you are, God knows. And He's not wasting a second. The things that you're doing right now are preparing you for your moment of destiny. Don't miss it. See, not only did David make his moment because he was willing to serve his father, but when he got to his moment, David didn't give in to fear because he remembered what God had done in his past. You see, now all of a sudden, defeating that lion and defeating that bear made sense. Now let me ask you something real quick. Just think. If you were a young teenage boy, younger than he is now, because this has happened in his past, maybe 13, 14 years old, out alone with a sheep, and a lion comes, 
Would you look at that as a blessing? Probably not. Matter of fact, you'd probably think, dear God, what are you doing? Why do I have to face this lion? Why, God, do I have to go through this? But he won. And I'm sure he was grateful. Got through that. Only to have to face a bear. Would you have looked at that as a blessing? Probably not. You would have probably been even more frustrated. Said, God, I already beat a lion. I never thought I'd have to go through this again. Why am I having to face this again? But he rose up and he defeated the bear. And now he goes back. And he says, okay, now I understand. That's why I had to face the lion. That's what the bear was all about. See, there's going to be a day when you're going to look back on your battles. And you're going to, okay, now I get it. Now I understand what that was about. At the time, I didn't. I was so frustrated and angry and discouraged and depressed that I had to go through this thing. But now I get it. Now I get it because I need all of that. I, I learned that God was faithful in all of that. I learned how prayer works and all of that. I learned how much I need people around me during all that. I get it now because I don't have to relearn that lesson now. Now I know. God, you were being faithful in all of that. And the same God that delivered me then will deliver me now because the battle's not mine. He's the one. God's the one that brings victory. Now, some people might look at, and I'm about done, but some people might look at this as pride. Young, teenage David, I can beat this giant. Why, King Saul himself had been too afraid to face the giant. And he's talking to him. And some people would have looked at that as pride. I'm sure his brothers would have. But I want to tell you something. David was walking in humility. Because unlike what we think, humility is not I'm going to say this slowly. Humility is not inaction due to fear of your personal limitations. That's not biblical humility. Let me say that again. Humility is not inaction due to fear of your personal limitations. Humility, true biblical humility, is the recognition of God's ability to overcome your personal limitations limitations when he's called you to act in the face of fear that's humility David was called on to act in the face of fear and he did not allow any of his personal limitations to limit him because he knew that the battle belonged to the Lord and that's true humility and it enabled him to take on the giant the next thing Saul does is he tells him it's almost humorous he says, well, okay, at least if you're going to go to war against this giant, I want you to wear my armor. So Saul gives David his own armor, which is a great honor when you really think about it. Not everybody got to wear the king's own armor. But David had never worn armor before, and you've got to imagine him being a teenager and Saul being an adult. The armor was probably a little too big for him. And so he was trying to walk around in this armor, and the reason, again, that Saul did this was to try to give some level of protection to David in the battle. But when David starts walking around in Saul's armor, it's clunky on him, and he can't really move the way he needs to move. And thank the Lord, David recognized it and was willing to get rid of it. And I want to tell you something. When you go to battle and you meet your moment in destiny, you cannot do it wearing somebody else's armor. That means Now listen, you can benefit, you can be inspired by, you can learn from somebody else's faith, somebody else's prayer life, somebody else's power, somebody 
somebody else's anointing. But you cannot wear their faith, wear their power, or wear their anointing when you go into battle. It's got to be your own stuff. The Bible says he's given you the armor of God, and you've got to learn to wear it for yourself. What David wound up doing is he went and found him five smooth stones, and he took a shepherd's pouch that he was normally used to using and his shepherd's staff. He took what he was familiar with. He took what he knew. He took what he had learned, and he took it into battle with the giant. And I'm going to tell you something. You may not realize this. You may not even think it. But what you already know and where you've already been and what you've already learned about God is enough to get you to the next level. If, you knew that was coming, didn't you? If you're willing to face the next giant. Listen to my next statement because it's important. There is not a next level without a next giant. There is no such thing. There's a lot of Christians who want to jump to the next level. We just don't want to face another giant. There is not a next level without a giant. So if you don't want to face another giant, you might as well get real satisfied with the level you're in because you're not moving. But if you're willing to face the battle, if you're willing to face the giant that's in front of you, then where you've been and what you've learned and what you know in God is enough because you're not alone. God's walking into battle with you. David knew that. Matter of fact, I heard one preacher saying, I think it's true, that David picked up five stones and not just one. And it wasn't because he thought he might miss the first time, but it's because Goliath had four brothers, and he was ready to take them all down if necessary. Now, the Bible, I can't prove that from Scripture, but I don't doubt that at all. Now, I'm not going to read all the Scriptures the rest of the way through because I'm sure you've heard the story many, many times. But Goliath, when he sees this little teenage boy coming to face him, he's insulted. And it makes him madder than he ever was before. And he starts cursing David by his gods, the Philistine gods. He says, boy, you come on because I'm going to feed you to the birds today. This is it. You think I'm going to have compassion on you because you're young? You can forget it. I'm going to feed you to your bones are going to be meat for the birds today. And David steps back and he says, I come to you in the name of of the God of the armies of Israel who you had defied, and he's going to defeat you today. I'm not afraid of you. And the most important thing about what David does is he takes his stones and he puts them in his sling, and the Bible says David ran or rushed forward to meet the giant. It doesn't say David got behind a rock and cowered over there waiting for the giant to come get him, and at the last possible moment he was going to stick his head out and maybe try to throw a rock. It says that he took his sling and his stones and he ran to meet the enemy. And he took one stone and he flung that stone, had a direct hit in Goliath's forehead and killed him instantly. And he went down. David then took Goliath's own sword, cuts off his head, holds it up in victory. And when the Philistines see their champion dead, they're struck with an unnatural fear, and they begin to flee. And now, and this is the part I wanted you to get to, 
Now, all of those other hardened soldiers of Israel that were so afraid and wouldn't face Goliath, now all of a sudden they're ready to fight. And they rush and they begin to chase after the Philistines and Israel wins a mighty victory that day. See, that's what I was talking about earlier. You see, you don't know what your obedience will do for somebody else. It's real easy for us to get, or it is for me anyway, to kind of judge the rest of the army and think, well, you guys are seasoned warriors and you're all in the army of the living God. Why didn't one of you seasoned warriors have enough faith to take down the giant? Why did God have to use a teenager? Well, maybe just because that was David's moment of destiny. Or maybe it was just because nobody else would listen to God. We'll never know. The good news is, God always has a David somewhere. Somewhere in this room is a David. Somewhere there's somebody who has an anointing and a calling, and age is not the issue. See, David could have said, I'm too young. But Paul told Timothy, let no man despise your youth. Some of you could say, well, I'm too old. But we just talked about a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning how Caleb at the age of 80 went and told Joshua, give me my mountain. I'll take it. And there were giants in that mountain too, but Caleb took it at 80 years of age. So there are no excuses. Not too young, not too old. David could have hidden behind his rejection. He could have hidden behind the disrespect of his brothers. He could have hidden behind their hatred. He could have hidden behind their betrayal, the abuse he had received at their hands. He could have said, I can't ever be anything. I can't ever get anywhere because nobody likes me. Nobody treats me right. and Nobody gives me a fair shake. Nobody gives me a fair chance. He could have done all that, and he would have been right in his thinking because that's exactly the way his life was. And if you want to talk about somebody besides David, think about Joseph. I mean, Joseph didn't have a chance. All he had was a vision. His only mistake was to share his vision with his brothers who should have loved him. And they tried every way in this world. They even wanted to kill him for it. When they did decided not, at least they had enough compassion not to kill him, but they sold him as a slave. And then he was falsely accused. And then he was thrown into prison. And then he was forgotten. If anybody had a reason to say, I can't ever be anything because I'm never treated right. This never happened. It was Joseph. It was David. It was Jesus. But none of them took the pass. They all rose up and found their moment when God gave them the opportunity. And in finding that moment, they left no excuses and they rose up and faced the battle. If you want to be a victor instead of a victim, and Lord knows our generation is full of a victim mentality. Goodness gracious, we blame everything on something. I got a friend who's a regional manager for McDonald's, and they said in their area where he's at in Alabama, somebody recently got a hot cup of coffee, and when the person was handing it out the window to them, Instead of picking up the coffee the way you would normally take a coffee, the customer picked up the coffee by the top. And, of course, the coffee cup fell out from the lid, and it's peeled all over them. And they, they wound up suing McDonald's, and McDonald's had to pay. And the customer said, I put the top on it, and I handed it to them the right way. They took it the wrong way. 
But all it was was their word against another. They didn't even try to pull up the video of it because they said, we'll never win in court. All they had was an accusation, but the accusation was enough. And in this kind of mentality, in this kind of society, all they were looking for was somebody to blame because they've decided that the only way they can get ahead is by the blame game. Victim mentality. You can be a victim or you can be a victor. But if you're going to be a victor, here's some things you have to do, and we see it in David's life. Number one is you have to be willing to serve where you are right now. Well, I don't want to be where I'm at right now. I don't want to be doing what I want to be doing right now. I feel like I should be doing something else. But that's where you are right now. You can't start where you're not. You have to start where you are. So serve where you are. Walk in humility. Walk in humility and understand that humility is not inaction as a result of fear of your own limitations. Humility is an understanding of God's power to overcome your limitations when, he's doing, when you're doing what he's asked you to do. Hold on to your vision no matter what. David held on to his vision even when it looked like it wasn't coming to pass. Even when he was called back from King Saul to the sheepfold, he still did everything he did with enthusiasm and with an expectation. Watch for your opportunity. And when your opportunity comes, don't let anybody talk you out of it. No matter how well-reasoned their conver- or well-meaning their conversation may be, accept no excuses, not from anyone else and not from yourself. The biggest excuse maker in your life is you. Don't accept excuses from yourself. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God who is in you is greater than he. Have we forgotten whose we are and who we are? Accept no excuses. Refuse to carry offense. When you choose to carry an offense, it will obliterate your opportunity. Let me say it again. When you choose to carry an offense, it will obliterate your opportunity. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in love. Refuse to be offended. Every time you have an opportunity to be offended, that's an opportunity for the enemy to mess with your opportunity. Just look at it that way. Every time the enemy gives you a chance to be offended, you've just had a chance to give up on your opportunity. Don't take that chance. Don't take the opportunity to be offended. Be patient in your preparation. Understand that God knows where you are and He knows what He's doing. And He's not wasting a minute. There's something about where you are right now, unless you're out of the will of God, Now, if you know that you're out of the will of God, if you know that you sinned and you stepped out of obedience to God, then this has nothing to do with God. This is about your disobedience. Get right with God. Get back to where He called you to be. But if you know you're where God last called you to be, then everything that's going on, God has a purpose. Trust Him and be patient in your preparation. Own your calling and your gifts. Don't have false humility. Own your calling and your gifts. It's not your stuff. If you're a good speaker, God gave you that ability. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. If you're a good singer, God, man, you missed it if you didn't go to that singing last night. You know why you missed it? Because you think you see Steve tickle the piano up here. Man, last night he is going crazy on the piano. And it was an awesome thing to see. And I love it because, you see, God gave him the ability to play like that. The worst thing, the most tragic thing in the world Steve could ever do is to sit back and say, well, 
I don't want to show off. I don't want to just play to the best of my ability because if I play to the best of my ability, it might make people who can't play feel bad because they can't play. For goodness sakes, Steve ought to play to the best. He ought to just let it go every time he plays everywhere he's at. If you've got an ability to sing, do you know how many people would love to be able to sing? Listen, I'd love to be able to play the piano. I'd love to be able to play the guitar. If I would have known I was going to be singing as much as I sing, I guarantee you I would have learned how at some point in time. I would love to be able to do those things. Listen, if God gave you a gift, use it for His glory. Make sure that you own those callings and those gifts because God gave them to you for a reason. But use them for Him and what He wants you to do. And finally, when you're faced with the battle, when the battle's in front of you, run to it. Don't run away from it. Now, I know that goes against human nature. I understand. I know that our natural inclination is when the enemy's threatening in front of us, we want to turn and run the other way. That human protective reflex. But we need to run to it. You know, when God called Abram or Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac, I couldn't think of a more difficult thing. You know, the Bible says that he got up early the next morning to do what God asked him to do. There it is again. You see it. He didn't hesitate. He got up early. Because you know why? I think they're smart enough to know that if I hesitate, I'm going to give the enemy time to talk me out of this. If, if David, I think he knew, if I don't run to meet the giant, if I sit here for even just a few minutes and I stand here and look at how big he is, I might have second thoughts. And this is my moment So I'm going to engage the enemy. So when you're faced with a battle, when you're faced with the enemy, and it's your time, and you know it, run to the battle. Don't run away from it. Final verse I want to read. And I touched on it, but verse 52, it says, Now the men of Israel and Judah arose, and they shouted, and they pursued the Philistines. It's very true today. You don't know who it is. But there is somebody waiting on your obedience. I promise you. Somebody's waiting on you to really go into that prayer closet like God's been calling you to. You may not know who they are. Somebody is. Somebody's waiting on that shout. Somebody's waiting on you to just take that step of compassion that God's put in your heart. Somebody's waiting. Well, I don't know who they are. And you're never going to know until you obey God. You're never going to know what could have been until you do what's in front of you. And I want to close with that statement. You'll never know what could have been until you do what's in front of you. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't miss your moment. Serve where you are with a heart of faith. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for time in your presence and worship today. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your faithfulness to us. And we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the principles in your word that still instruct us today. And Father God, for everyone in this room, and God, that's everybody in this room has a calling. Everyone in this room is gifted in some way or another. Everyone in this room has an anointing from heaven. Not everybody in this room knows what it is yet, but it's there. If we're children of God, it's there. And we're all going to face giants. We faced them before and we're going to face them again. Some of us are facing some right now. 
And Lord, in the natural, it's a fearful thing. But Lord, you said that you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You said, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, then believe in me, you said. So Father God, I pray that we would just put our hope in you. Father God, I pray that we would never underestimate the day of small beginnings, as you've said in your word. Father, we'd realize that there's not a moment that's wasted as long as we're being obedient to you. Father God, that we would allow you to have your perfect work in us by your spirit. That we'd serve with excellence and with enthusiasm right where we are. Father God, that we'd not take the opportunity to take offense. But Lord, we would forgive and we would love even our enemies. That's what you said to do. And Father God, that we would be where we need to be at the moment of our destiny. And Father, probably that involves facing a giant. So God, I just thank you in the name of Jesus that greater are you in us than all the giants that are opposed to us. And Father God, I thank you that we don't have to be afraid. So God, I speak courage into each heart. I thank you faith comes by hearing the word of God and I thank you that faith arises in each heart today. I thank you God that visions and dreams that people have been frustrated with and just about given up on and been discouraged because they don't see any growth in it. Father God, I just thank you that they would be encouraged today to know that you know where they are. You know what's happening and you're not wasting a thing. Father God, I just pray that we would just trust in you. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. As always, if you don't have the relationship with Jesus that you want to have, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you have, but you're not walking with Him today, you're not right with God at this moment, and you want to be, that's the most important thing at all of all. If you'll lift your hand, I'd love to pray with you this morning. If there's anybody like that in the room, you don't know Jesus, He's not Lord in your life, or you're not walking with Him like you know you want to and need to, and you want that to change today, it can. He loves you. If you lift your hand anywhere in the room, I want to pray with you first before we pray about anything else. Okay, then secondly, I believe God sent me this message to give this morning. Matter of fact, I almost preached something else. This was one of those times when I, I had this message prepared and thought I was going to preach something else, but the Lord said, no, stay with that one. So I believe it was for someone in this room. You've got a giant out in front of you, or maybe you're not even at the place of battle yet. But you know you've got a calling and you've got an anointing. And right now it just seems like God has you doing such small things. And you're discouraged and you've got a little bit of a bad attitude about it. And God's speaking you today. If David would have thought he was too big to be an errand boy for his brothers, he would have missed his moment to face his Goliath. And had he not faced his Goliath, he may not have ever been king. I want to challenge you today. There's nothing too small if God's in it. And I want to encourage you, if all you see around you is just small stuff, don't get discouraged. Just be faithful in the small things. God will do what He needs to do in your future to take you where He's called you to be. And if your vision and dream has gotten distant to you, if it's blurry in your sight, if you've about given up on it, if you're discouraged, I want this message to be an encouragement to you today. God hasn't forgot about it. God knows exactly what He's doing. Don't give up. 
don't quit. And if you've got a giant in front of you right now, don't be afraid of that giant. And don't take the opportunity to listen to the words of those who are jealous or don't understand you or even well-reasoning, well-meaning advice to not engage the battle. Go engage that giant if God put him in front of you. But know that God's the one that overcomes the giant, not you. And you're going to see victory. If any of those things sound like what's happening in your life, I want to pray with you before we close today. If you lift your hand in this room, you know God's speaking to you in those areas of your life. I want to pray for you this morning. Praise God. Let's stand together in this place. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each one whose hands just went up. God, you knew they would be here today. You know exactly and specifically what's happening in their lives and how this word applies to them. Lord, I've learned from it. We can all learn from it. But God, specifically for them, not only did you send the word, but you had me stay with it this morning. So, Father God, I just thank you in Jesus' name that faith arises in their heart. I thank you for encouragement in their spirit. Father God, I thank you they grab hold of the vision and won't let it go. That even if the place they're in right now seems small, Father, I just thank you that they will serve with enthusiasm, with joy, and with excellence. Father God, whatever may be said about them or to them, God, that they would not take the opportunity to be offended, to give up, or to quit. And Father, if a giant's staring them down right now, I thank you they'll know like they've never known before that greater are you in them than anything that's opposed to them. And I thank you they can run and engage the battle and Lord, know that you're going to win because you've won before over and over again. And Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we speak encouragement, we speak hope, we speak faith, we speak vision, and we speak peace direction in each heart in jesus name we pray amen amen we love you today don't forget uh, bible study tonight at six hope banquet tuesday come back in next sunday prayed up and ready to go be blessed go in the grace of god